I'm sorry. I know that was important, but you performed Gilbert and Sullivan? I am the very model of a scientist Salarian. I've studied species Turian, Asari, and Batarian. I'm quite good at genetics as a subset of biology because I am an expert, which I know is a tautology. My xenoscience studies range from urban to agrarian. I am the very model of a scientist Salarian. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth, and Zach is conveniently absent. And we're the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. I wonder if Zach's actually going to cut in himself in part of this episode, since we have so much recorded audio of ourselves uh, talking that he can possibly even fake himself into this episode. But uh, actually, uh, Zach is uh, unfortunately sick this week, and we didn't have any guests lined up like we did last time. So either I chose the wrong day to record, and I'm alone in the studio, or that's it. This is it. This is going to be the show. So I don't even know where that joke is. So hopefully, if uh, we're going to do something a little unique, I'll try to keep the show intact as much as I can, going through uh, what I've been recently been playing. At the episode, I have some stuff prepped before us and finally wrapping up with a a retro game that I've played recently. Uh, We'll go through and uh, go through all the story beats and unfortunately we just don't have Zach so I don't really know what the timing of this episode is going to be on because Zach usually prevents me from going on random tangents and I'm also just talking myself so I don't have to wait to hear Zach ramble on. So it's going to be an interesting episode. And if you don't listen to it, I'm okay with that. I will sleep well knowing that you were like, screw this. But I wanted to make sure that we had something available for you every Sunday since that's what we've done. And uh, we wanted to put something together. So here's uh, the Classic Gaming Brothers with just one brother. And maybe that's the episode's name. But we're going to get into um, when we get to the full episode. Like I said, we have something exciting that we want to talk about. However, recently I've been playing a game called Call of the Sea. Uh, Call of the Sea was developed by Out of the Blue Games and published by Raw Fury and released in December of 2020. It's an uh, another adventure game, so of course it's something that I would be playing. But Call of the Sea is an otherworldly tale of mystery and love set in the 1930s South Pacific, where you explore a, a lush island paradise, solve puzzles, and unlock the secrets in the hunt for your husband's missing expedition. In it, you play as Nora, and you are trying to find your husband Harry and you have some sort of illness and like this family illness that like took your parents and now you have it and you get spots on your fingers and your husband went off to go find a cure for you and then you went off to go find your husband because he didn't come back so you have to go and explore this island trying to find him and while he's looking for your cure and you have to try to look for him uh the island is um from what I've played mostly unoccupied so far you start off in a boat and they drop you off in a little rowboat and you take a rowboat over.
over, then you can start exploring the island and seeing the different canoes that they had. And you can start doing the puzzles that you encounter on the island as you try to put together the uh, experience. Uh, It plays from a first person perspective. And so and uh, is very, uh, so far, story-driven adventure game. Uh, I've played only a little bit, as based on my, albeit brief, description of it, uh, but I'm looking forward to playing a little bit more. Uh, I've been playing that game along with, uh, as I talked about in the last episode, I'm still continuing on with my cyberpunk adventures, so I've been kind of splitting my time with those games. I would ask Zach what he's been recently been playing, but he's not here, and that joke's going to come up a lot since he's not here to stop me from making them. But to get on to the uh, main part of the episode, we have done a couple of lore episodes, and I know people enjoyed lore episodes, so I wanted to do a lore episode regarding Mass Effect, and we will probably do a more Mass Effect lore episodes, so if you like Mass Effect and are mad that I'm doing it by myself and butchering it, well, I'm sorry, but I like Mass Effect 2. So I felt like it was a comfortable thing that I could talk about without Zach. And specifically this episode, I wanted to talk about Mass Effect aliens. So we've, uh, oh, that's fun. I'm going to talk about this. I'm reading some notes. Zach did help create some notes for the episode as well as he'll be editing the episode. So it's not like he's not, uh, he's not not involved. He's just extremely sick. So We wanted to do more lore episodes regarding Mass Effect. Here's the first episode of that series. We did a number of episodes on Sonic because Zach loves Sonic. So we're going to do a bunch of episodes with Mass Effect because Mass Effect Trilogy is one of my favorite games. Mass Effect itself, I just finished up, not recently, but pretty recently, a run-through of the entire trilogy. This time I did it through the Legendary Edition. I'll probably do another Legendary Edition run. I don't know if I'll do one by the end of this year, but it'll probably be sometime next year. I'll probably do another Legendary run, Uh, maybe Renegade. But Mass Effect is very invasive with my life. Uh, I own a lot of merchandise, such as hoodies and other collectibles. I've read the comics, the novels. Uh, I'm even trying to, I'm going to watch the anime. And one of my favorite parts of the Mass Effect series are the aliens. So, but it's primarily the three main aliens beyond humans being aliens in this game because they are to other aliens but the three main aliens are the asari salarian and the turians and those are what are known as the major council races so instead of talking about all three of those in this episode we're actually just going to talk about one of those races and then we're going to talk about some non-council races we're going to talk about in this episode their biology their culture their government their military and we'll um, uh, go through the races and then we'll we'll do additional ones of these to and go touch other races and Zach will join us for those. Or maybe this will just be what I talk about when Zach's not around. Now, what do I mean when I'm talking about council or non-council races? Well, the council in Mass Effect refers to the Citadel Council, which is the government that runs Citadel space. Each species still maintains and governs their own planets. However, any planet within Citadel space has to follow the laws of the council including settling disputes between the governments themselves and maintaining law and order through the council's specialized branch of government, the Spectre, which is the Special Tactics and Reconnaissance Organization. And it's kind of uh, an interesting position that the council is in. Um, they they are take, they're called the Citadel Council because they are on the Citadel, which is a large space station. And they the council represents kind of like the executive and legislative branch of this or essentially a joint organization. It kind of acts like the European Union, where 
It's like an opt-in to join. You get a lot of benefits while joining, but you have to follow their rules, right? So you get to get the benefits of going to the Citadel, getting high trade, and trading with the rest of the galaxy. But you have to listen to the Citadel Council when they make silly decisions, and uh, they get to muddy with your affairs. So it's kind of a, a little bit kind of like modeled after the European Union, I think. Now, as I mentioned, well, let's get into just kind of talking about the aliens. And the, the first alien that I want to talk about is the Solarians. Now, I really love the Solarians, and I think they're a really cool race. Um, Morden is my favorite Solar- Solarian, and possibly Morden Solus is probably one of my favorite characters in Mass Effect. His ability to be very inquisitive, but he also is sometimes very cold, but he also has this empathy. And this empathy also grows within him as you play the game with him, and he evolves over time. Now, the Solarians themselves are a council race and were the second species to join the citadel and the council after the asari the asari were the first ones to join the citadel and become really start the council then the solarians discovered it and then finally the turians and then once the turians joins they kind of started like kiboshing new other aliens joining and they kind of started being like well you got to prove yourself first the solarians though are fast talking fast moving fast thinking warm-blooded amphibians uh their home planet is that of Sirkesh, and they are so fast and so fast-talking because their metabolism is in like hyperspeed. Their metabolism is so fast that they, in fact, only need to sleep one hour every night. Though, because they have such a high metabolism, they rarely live over 40 years, which I actually did some calculations. If you, on average, live 70 years and you have to sleep eight hours a night, or you if you live 40 years and you are you only sleep one hour a night, then you do have more waking hours as somebody who lives longer. But I was like, do the Solarians get how many hours do they actually get? Because they're up 23 hours. They also tend to mature faster. I think they become adults. I want to say they become adults at like 15 or something. The Solarian race are tall and lanky. Their bodies are composed of more cartilage versus like humans. Their skin has a variety of colors from bright red to more common colors such as blues and grays. Uh, They also have a pair of horns that are on top of their very long thin heads and their horns are covered with their skin. So it doesn't necessarily look like horns. It's kind of like they're like stiff lekus that like the Twi'leks have there there's like it's, it's like an appendage but it's just straight up I guess it's not really an appendage it's just like a horn but anyway it's covered with skin it's not like exposed horn they are an androgynous race and it's very difficult to tell males from females they tend to be a more male dominant as a species because they are a haploid diploid egg layer which means they're unfertilized eggs produce males and their fertilized eggs produce females and a solarian female will lay a clutch of about 12 eggs like once a year and the society really dictates that only a fraction of them are fertilized and thus 90% of the species is actually male. Now, Solarians are best known for their knack at inventing things. They will often use some form of advanced technology, but they will often overlook things like quality and consistency. As an example, the Guardian starship that the Solarians use as a defense system, if it malfunctions, can actually cause incredible damage and loss of life. However, they do it because it's 
still very, very advanced. And that advanced technology is worth that possible side effect. Salarian's culture can be summed up with the phrase, knowledge is power. They believe that information gathering and espionage are essential when dealing with other species. This includes within the alliance itself, which is the human military, as alliance counterintelligence is often finding new Solarian agents. Solarian females are often kept cloistered out of tradition and respect. Though, when a powerful female Solarian emerges, they tend to be political kingpins and help set political precedent throughout their respective regions. In fact, um, the Solarian leader of their Solarian culture is a Dalatris, and she is a Solarian female who is very mysterious and very powerful. Valorin, who's the Solarian counselor, is actually an exception to the political norm. Many Solarian men excel in business and academics, but they but females tend to excel in politics, except for Valorin, who is a male Solarian counselor. However, if Valorin dies, which is possible throughout the Mass Effect trilogy because of your actions, then he is replaced with a female Daltress who becomes the counselor, showing that Valorin is a, he's a unique factor. Now, Solarians don't necessarily have a concept of romantic love or even sexual attraction due to the way that they reproduce. This doesn't mean that a relationship between two Solarians is impossible. It's just not really common. Sexuality is seen by their people as a strictly reproductive purpose, which makes sense since they're truly an egg-laying race, so they don't gain any pleasure from copulation and thus uh, would make them not drive necessarily towards having a a romantic relationship. Now, in regards to their naming, Solarians' names often consist of their homeworld nation, city, district, clan, and given name. An example would be Garat II, Haran, Mao, Dinest, Gat, Inosti, Ledra, which would have all of their person's location and their given name all within that. You would know everyone about them just by knowing their name. While not necessarily religious by nature, the Solarians do celebrate Batu, the first day of their new year. This is a day where the, they repay debts and petition favors. And in ancient times, the Solarians were far more religious, and some believed in the stones of life, Moshiba, Mosinio, and Mosvives. The Solarian government is called the Solarian Union and functions very similarly to a medieval feudal structure with fiefdoms, baronies, and duchies. Typically, a Solarian's first circle of their clan will consist of parents, siblings, uncles, aunts, and cousins, and the next circle will consist of second cousins. By the fifth circle, a clan can consist of millions of individuals, and they have a photographic memory, so they can recognize their relatives, so you could know your third cousin, and you can be part of this massive organization of your family within this type of feudal structure of Essentially, almost possibly, you could be tied back to royalty. The Solarian military is rather small versus the military of especially the Turian, the humans, and the Asari. I believe in Mass Effect, the ranking of military is Turian, human, Asari, Solarian, and there may be non-Citadel races that are 
bigger than the Solarian. Like Krogan. <laughs> the Krogan definitely have a military that's larger than the Solarian. The Solarian military is mostly consisting of volunteers. Uh, they do, however, keep a large covert military that runs various espionage and clandestine jobs to prevent war from breaking out. This espionage allows the Solarians to have vast knowledge of an enemy before any fighting even occurs, keeping their small military ahead of everybody else. This organization that runs their espionage is called the STG, the Special Tactics Group. And the STG will be the basis for the Spectre organization that the Citadel operates. So that's why there's they're both kind of espionage-themed, because they're both Solarian-inspired STG groups, essentially. So the STG group would report back what's going on, and then their military may, in fact, strike first for no reason, because they would have the reason, because they collect so much information. They're prone to striking first, and without warning. And they also, Solarians believe that if they let the enemy make the first move, it's folly. And if they announce their plan, it's insanity. So they should always just strike first without warning. These tactical moves will often be executed with such devastation that it would be even hours before an enemy even can react. Solarians also never issue declarations of war. They just merely just attack and do what needs to be done. To get on to the next race that we wanted to talk that I wanted to talk about tonight was the Volus. I really like the Volus. Um, I would say the Solarians, the Volus, and the the other race, the Elcor that we're going to talk about tonight, are probably my three favorite races of Mass Effect. <laughs> which is why we're, I'm deciding that this is the these races is the one that we talk about. Now, the Vols are a species in the Mass Effect universe known for their diminutive size, their and their reputation as skilled traders and merchants. They were born on the harsh, high-pressure world of Irune, and the Volus themselves are a hardy people who have adapted to survive in this uh, challenging environment. Now, despite their small stature, which may be driven because of the high pressure in Irune, the Volus have proven to be an influential species in the galaxy. Their ability to negotiate and strike deals has made them a valuable asset to many factions, and their expertise in financial matters has earned them a reputation as shrewd and savvy businessmen. The Volus are also known for their distinctive environmental suits, which are necessary to protect them from their harsh conditions of their homeworld. And they're not accustomed to the world outside, so that's why they need to wear their environmental suits. Greetings, Earth Clan. You will find many excellent ships for sale here. Only slightly used, yes. Very similar to another race that we're not going to talk about today, but the Quarian, who have to wear environmental suits because of their, they're like autoimmune compromised because of living in sterile ships. These suits are a source of pride for the Vols, who view them as a symbol of their resiliency and their ingenuity. Now, while the Vols have made their mark on the galaxy through their financial acumen and diplomatic skills, they're not without their flaws. Uh, some members of their species have been known to engage in shady business practices, and their focus on profits can sometimes come at the expense of ethical considerations. Despite these shortcomings, the Vols remains a respected and influential species in the Mass Effect universe, with a unique culture and history that sets them apart from other races. Their contributions to the Galactic Society have been pretty significant. Now, Vols are kind of like the Ferengi in that their culture is primarily built upon trade and commerce. Unlike the Ferengi, however, they are known as some of the best financial advisors. 
others. They are also typically considered a non-violent race, largely due to their stature and size. Their homeworld did away with warfare as an institution. In fact, they believe in an important artifact known as the Book of Plenix, which calls for a charity of and forgiveness of debts if Volus ever do become involved in war. The Volus typically have two names, but they do not have a family name. This is due to the belief that one cannot own a person, and a family name would essentially be claiming ownership of one's offsprings. They will refer to members of other species by their homeworld rather than the name of their species. For example, Earth Clan instead of Human. They'll say, yeah, Shepherd, Earth Clan. Now, some Volus practice a religion that is based in polytheism, with some of their gods having planets named after them, such as Shirksab and Zababan. The Volus government is known as the Vol Protectorate and is a client state of the Turian hierarchy, rather than a fully sovereign government. The Volus pay the Turian for their military service and defer to Turians in all foreign policy matters. They do keep an embassy on the Citadel, making them an associate species of the council. However, their embassy is shared by the Elcor, and they are constantly through the Mass Effect series complaining about not having enough representation as a member of the council. However, it goes back to where they are still a client state of the Turian hierarchy, which is the Turian government, who is a council race member. So they are, the council goes like, you're not, you don't stand by yourselves, you're still a client state of us, why should you have your own counselor? And they kind of have that conversation throughout the game. In fact, they don't have much of a military. They do have some military, but they really don't have much. And they're not really physically fit for combat. The Vols are highly dependent on the Turians for defense. The Vols do have some auxiliary troops that they, they provide to the Turian hierarchy. These troops wear specially sealed armor in combats. Their weapons are also considered to be utilitarian, and they are known to employ biotics in combat. Uh, they tend to have have a lot of bombers is what their fleets tend to possess because bombing can be used to also mine. So a lot of their bomber ships are mining ships that are just converted for combat. Finally, we're going to talk about the Elcor. Now, the Elcor are a species native to the world of Dakuna and are encountered on the Citadel. They kind of look like, Zach would describe, loaves of bread, but with arms and feet. I, I actually would disagree and say they kind of look like if an elephant was talking to you by with its butt, and its butt's face was that of Eeyore's. <laughs> and if you think that's what they look like in your head and you go look up an Elcor, that's going to be what you always see now, because that's what I see when I see them. Now, the world of Dakuna has a very high gravity, and thus the Elcor evolved to be both strong but they are also very slow. Their inability to move quickly is done out of survival on their whole planet, as a fall in a high-gravity environment could be fatal. Elcor's speech, to many, sounds mostly flat and monotone. Please greeting. Human, it is always good to see your kind. I am Ambassador Kalen. To other Elcor, however, the subtlety and body movements and scent can convey a vast array of emotions. And to compensate for this, the Elcor will typically prefix their dialogue with an emotive statement to make sure that their tone is clarified. So they'll say uh, something along the lines of like, empathetically or regretfully, and then they'll say what they're trying to say to whoever they're speaking to. Very similar to how HK-47 would specify whether something was a statement or a query before he speaks, it's the way that they also kind of prefix their dialogues, except they 
prefix it based on emotion versus what the actual statement is. Statement? Something approaching joy is now growing in my behavior core, Master. Please install it at once. Cautionary. But please do so carefully. I have seen how you use a hydro spanner. Now, early in Elcor history, they began to take make short trips into space and it was around this time they were contacted by the Asari and with the help from the Asari the Elcor were soon establishing a regular trade route to the Citadel. Now the Elcor chose to stay in their colonies rather than travel in space and are typically migratory in nature. This migratory behavior is seen on their home planet which has two capital cities one for the wet season and one for the dry season and the way that they move and the speed that they go they're probably always in the middle of changing to whatever city they need to get to. And the Elcor themselves have made their way into the arts and entertainment of the galaxy. There is actually a performance of Hamlet by an all Elcor cast that lasts 14 hours. However, it won many awards. Now available on video, the abridged version of Francis Kitt's award-winning production of Hamlet, featuring an all Elcor cast. Fearful wonder. Angels and ministers of grace, defend us. Be thou a spirit of health or goblin damned. Bring with thee airs from heaven or blasts from hell. Be thy intent wicked or charitable. The Elcor government is known as the Courts of Dakuna. Typically, the Elcor will follow the recommendations of their elders who interpret ancient law and how it can be applied to modern scenarios. Similarly to the Volus, they also don't have a large military and by nature are not suitable for making sudden decisions. When the Reapers invaded in 2186, the Elcor defended their homeworld. However, the Reapers' assault proved too powerful and their navy was decimated. This left many Elcor civilians and warriors trapped on the planet. Thankfully, they weren't all wiped out, and Elcor do not primarily live in large populated centers, so the Reapers had a very difficult time attacking the planets. And that's going to be at least a little bit about three races in Mass Effect. Hopefully you enjoyed that. And I'm just going to wrap up with my retro game, and then this painful experience will be over for all of us. I didn't want to play Undercover Cops with Zack being sick, so I went and played Battletech for the Sega Genesis. It was also known as MechWarrior 3050 and Battletech 3050. It was released in 1994 in North America and was developed by Malibu Interactive. And you play as a member of the Clan Wolf MechWarrior team, and you're sent to destroy assets of the enemy as a mech. You get to equip the loadout, and then you play in an isometric view. There's also a two-player mode that I didn't play because Zack was sick, where one person controls the bottom half of the mech and the second player controls the gun turret, which sounds not only fun, but also aggravating. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not really sure about playing this game with the second person, unless you want to get into a fight with them. But I enjoyed it. Uh, it reminded me a lot of Jungle Strike. And then I looked it up, and Malibu Interactive actually worked on Jungle Strike for the Sega Genesis. So it holds up. And it feels like Jungle Strike, but instead of flying a helicopter, you drive a giant mech. Uh, very similar graphic styling, though. It was a lot of fun. I, I think it holds up. If you like Jungle Strike, you probably would like Mech Warrior for the Sega Genesis. Uh, you 
play as a giant mech and you run around and destroy things. I'm not going to give Zach a game and next game I'll play Undercover Cops. Next episode I'll have played Undercover Cops and I'll be talking to Zach because hopefully he'll be back or he'll be sick for a very long time and I don't know. We'll just keep having these random episodes with just me. So hopefully you've gone back to other episodes and listened to them with Zach and, and actually enjoy it, us. And if you do, you can always reach out to us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch, all at Classic Gaming Brothers. You can follow us on Twitter at CG Brothers Pod. Additionally, uh, you can listen to us wherever you find your podcast. And finally, Zach, am I missing anything? Oh yeah, I'm missing Zach. Anyway, don't play games like my brother. And then he would usually say, don't play games like my brother. And then I would say, I've been Seth. He'd say, I've been Zach. And I would say, we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. And then someone would say, that's right. And we'd wrap it out here. So enjoy and have a great day. And I hope come back. Zach will be back next episode. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) 